I'm Mark Nicholson. I'm going to uh, share uh, my story, God's story, uh, here in a second. I uh, just want to say, if this is your second week back, way to go. All the guys are here, all the guys group. Good for you guys. Proud of you. And uh, so I'm going to pray real quick and uh, just ask uh, the Lord's help to um, help me tell a story and do it quickly because we're kind of behind. Sorry about the parking situation, y'all. Um, Father, thank you for my friends who are here. And uh, I just ask you to help me share um, well what you have put on my heart to share that's um, the experience you've given me to to walk through. And uh, I thank you for it, even in the hard stuff, God. Um, and I, and I, I pray that my friends someday will be able to look back on this and see uh, just how, uh, Father, you've used this, even though it just seems impossible right now for uh, for good and for refining in their lives. Um, but uh, just help us to support each other right now as uh, just everything still is, is new and raw and hard, God. Um, Help us to um, just recognize you in uh, the big things and the small things. Um, we love you. Thank you for your son. Amen. Uh, Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. And uh, I will gladly tell of all that God's done for me. Uh, it's a privilege to get to do that uh, this evening uh, with you guys. It sounds a little trite to say, but I'm... Um, really a living miracle. Uh, I was uh, rescued by the Lord from uh, physical assault, from my own desire to numb my pain with alcohol and consume pornography, and from my self-absorption and pride, and then, uh, of course, from just the devastating effects of, of grief and loss. Um, as Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, the enemy tried to use evil for my harm, but the Lord has used it for good. And that's been true of my life. I spent a life verse of mine, and it's been true every step of the way. Um, I trusted Jesus as my Savior when I was nine, uh, realizing that I was a sinner, and there was nothing I could do to save myself. There was nothing, no way I could make myself do the right thing. And uh, the realization that Jesus had done that for me uh, set me free. And uh, so I embraced that uh, when I was nine, and certainly if uh, any of you out here don't really know that, that you have the gift uh, of grace, that you have eternal life in Christ and abundant life today, uh, any of us would love to, to tell you more about that. We welcome that opportunity. So um, I'm going to tell you the real short version of our story of loss. Uh, my wife and I got married 21 years ago, and within the first several years, uh, we had experienced one early-term miscarriage. And then um, we're unable to, to start a family for several years. And uh, it was a, that in itself was a season of grief and loss that we um, hadn't really anticipated. Uh, and certainly that first uh, miscarriage really, really set us back. We named that baby Joshua Mayfield. And then uh, seeking a little assisted reproductive technology to, uh, to try to conceive. Uh, we did not do in vitro fertilization. Um, just feel like it's important to, to, to make that clarification. Um, we found out that we were expecting quadruplets. Um, and even today, just to say that, I just, did that really happen? I mean, it's, it still just, just seems kind of, kind of strange to say, but um, we lost uh, the first of the quadruplets at about six or seven weeks. Uh, we named him Cooper Joel, and um, then sailed on through some of the big milestones, made it to uh, about 21 weeks. It was a textbook pregnancy. And then at 21 weeks, for reasons only the Lord knows, uh, we lost all three of those babies to miscarriage. They were with the Lord uh, by the time they were born. And, um, you know, I remember thinking, I will never be able to experience joy again. Uh, I was thinking about 
how, I mean, imagine, can y'all think back to last winter or, or certainly the winter before, which I think was even worse. I mean, remember those just like cold, cold, cold days? I mean, but on a day like today, it's just hard to imagine like being in your house with like three layers of clothes on and freezing to death, right? Just as even back then, when you were freezing to death, it was hard to imagine a day like today or a summer like we've had, where it's you know 108 you know for for weeks on end. Um, that was how it felt for me. I I couldn't really imagine what it felt like to to, to feel joy. I, it was like I couldn't really remember that in some of those dark early hours and days. Um, and I started to wonder if I would ever really experience joy again. Uh, joy is is kind of the theme, I guess, I want to kind of cover tonight. And um, I, I, as I've gotten some perspective, I've, I've seen that there are really kind of three aspects to our journey through grief, my journey through grief. And I want to make sure you hear, this is my story. Okay, everyone's story is really different. Certainly, I think some things will resonate with you, but I'm not saying this is prescriptive. This is descriptive. Um, uh, and I also want to make sure you hear me say, please hear me say, this is not the stages of grief. I, really, that's really a pet, pet peeve of mine. Um, that phrase was, somebody came, a psychologist in Switzerland came up with that phrase to describe the journey of someone who's received a life-limiting diagnosis. Uh, so when you really think about it, you know, the bargaining, the denial, all that doesn't fit. And, and I get kind of annoyed when I hear people describe grief as this step-by-step-by-step -step -step journey. And it's, I think we all by know, I'll now know by now that it's not a linear journey. It's, it's, it's jagged and it doubles back on itself. And so do these three aspects that I want to talk about tonight. Um, but three kind of legs on the journey, three aspects of the journey. For me, I, as I look back now, we're grieving lost joy, rediscovering joy, and anticipating future joy. And that won't make much sense until I kind of tell you what I'm talking about. Um, let me give you something to think about real quick. What do these things I'm about to list out have in common? Um, nice clothes, uh, good health, physical fitness, a nice appearance, being attractive, living in a nice home, having a pretty yard, living in a nice neighborhood, visiting um, places where God's majesty is apparent, mountains, beaches, things like that. Um, the thing that, that they all have in common is that this is what God's word says about the world that he created in the beginning and what he promises us in heaven. These are all things we lost when man rebelled in the garden and God sent him out. Things that someday we are going to enjoy in heaven. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We don't know how perfect the garden was, and we can't imagine how awesome heaven's going to be. But we spend a lot, of, our culture spends a lot of time and energy pursuing these things, trying to come up with our own cheap versions of it. So what we do know is that we want to be in heaven. We want to experience that, but this is certainly not it, right? Um, God's planted the knowledge deep in our souls, I think, that we're living in a story that was never supposed to be. But because of the fall described in Genesis 3, when we lose someone we love, we experience pain on top of a pain that's almost been kind of hardwired into our DNA, I think. Um, it's kind of like squeezing a bruise or, or like stubbing that toe for the second time on the same coffee table uh, two days in a row. Um, losing someone we love, experiencing death, is the absolute absence of anything that reminds us of God's goodness. It temporarily blinds us to the possibility that this world was perfect once and God's done something about it and will restore it someday. It's the fullest expression of evil we'll ever encounter. It's a taste of hell on earth. It's disorienting, it's disturbing, it's, it's unsettling, it's discombobulating. 
Greece then is the only logical response when evil invades an already broken world in such a profound way, and that only a good, merciful God can make it right again. I can't make someone's world right for them. I can only hold their hand. I can sit in the pain and confusion with them. And I found it's not only okay, it's a kindness to just tell someone this is not the way it was supposed to be. There's ample time to examine what God's word tells us about heaven and eternity and grief and hope and sorrow. But when someone's heart shattered in a million pieces and their grief just feels bottomless, I found that the most loving thing I can do for them is just to hold their hand and be there and just say it feels like joy is just gone forever, doesn't it? I get that. Um, so leg one, aspect one, was recognizing how deeply this loss cut. And I learned from that that when someone's grieving the joy we've lost as human beings, compounded by the loss of a loved one, sitting with them and saying your grieving is right and appropriate. I'm so sorry, it was not supposed to be this way. That's usually the best thing I can do. Um, so as, aspect two, re rediscovering joy. Um, in this aspect of, of, of my journey, I learned that giving thanks and leaning in, y'all probably remember that from last week, um, were two unlikely pathways to rediscovering joy. So um, our daughter Lucy Elizabeth was born first, and then at that point Julie was in full-term labor. She was fully dilated. She was a ticking time bomb. Um, and so we prayed hard for Will and Andy to stay put. Uh, but about 36 hours later, they slipped away into the arms of Jesus. And we prayed, and we'd asked God to give them to us, and he answered no. And I'm not going to say this to sound super pious or wise, but I knew what Paul encouraged us to do in First Thessalonians 5.18, which is to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so I just started looking for reasons to praise and thank God just right in the middle of the chaos and the, 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 the loss. Um, I wanted to remain in his will, even though I didn't know the first thing about walking through grief. While I knew he wasn't expecting me to be thankful that all three of my children had died, I decided to thank him that even though the answer was no, it had come mercifully fast. Julie, my wife, didn't have to languish in that hospital bed for two or three weeks or four weeks or however long, only to still lose the babies anyway. And what started out as obedience just became something of a discipline. I, I thank God for the friend who came over to cut my hair when, like, getting out of the house, just, just, I just couldn't even think about it. Um, I thanked him that I had Julie still, and I hadn't lost her too. I tried to remember to thank him for every expression of kindness he made to us through his people. And I began to experience this odd but, but unmistakable joy, um, even though my heart was wrecked by sorrow. But if you think that sounds crazy to me, if you're thinking like, Mark, I just can't really imagine being thankful right now, just do this. Just Google neuroscience and gratitude. Yeah, I almost said grief. That's not right. Neuroscience and gratitude. And you'll see that God knows our minds. And it's fun when science catches up with the Bible, but there's, there's actual proof that there is a reason God tells us to be thankful. Um, I love it when we just see how true and trustworthy God's word is. Um, Remember how last week, though, you were told that you, could, you should lean into your grief. And for some folks, I think that can be a big turnoff. I mean, if my goal is to get better, why would you actually ask me to experience the full impact of the loss I've, I've, I've just gone through, right? Um, and yet, even though it makes no sense to go there, we, we experience healing when we do. When we just allow ourselves to sit in the tears and the racking sobs, when you feel like your heart's being ripped out of your chest and your, your head hurts from crying so much, um, that kind of leaning into our grief. And, and here's the best way I can 
describe it. Um, Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It tells us that we need to be filled with the right thing. So when we indulge in alcohol, which is the wrong kind of spirit, in other words, uh, we can't at the same time be filled with God's spirit. And that's why when we're controlled by alcoholic spirits, uh, we're prone to do all sorts of things that we'd never do if we were submitted to God's spirit. And I'm afraid I can absolutely attest to that. Um, in a similar way, when we're holding on to the pain and the dashed hopes and the anger and the memories, I think that the Spirit doesn't have the opportunity to fill us the way He wants to and just really get to work in our, in our hearts. Um, God tells us in Psalm 62, 8, Trust me at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before me. I'm a refuge for you. And I think I found, when I emptied myself of any attempt to manage my grief or control my emotions or hold on to my, my composure, when I poured out all my thoughts and hurts and disappointments before God, I'm convinced that in those moments, even though they were gut-wrenching and hard in the moment, that was when God's Holy Spirit came in and had the freedom to move, just to move and to, to fill me up and bind those broken places. So it was through those times that I started to experience joy again, paradoxical as it sounds. Um, so funny that we're in here, room 307, so it's like the first room there on that long row of, of, of rooms. I'm not saying that's like the Holy of Holies, but that was, I used to be on staff here, and I would go into that room every morning before work and just let it out. Um, just pour my heart, heart out before the Lord. And, and, and really, honestly, I'm not sure I've really ever felt that intimately connected with the Lord since that time. Um, certainly have never experienced his presence and his peace uh, like I did in some of those, those times with him. So um, giving thanks and, and leaning in. As we moved out of that initial season of shock and confusion, these are the two disciplines that God um, had for me to rediscover joy. And lastly, um, anticipating future joy. Th when I say this, it doesn't mean that every bad thing in this lifetime is going to be reversed, that there won't still be poverty and grief and sickness and, and hard stuff. Um, but Revelation 21.4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God's telling us right at the end of his written word that the story isn't over, that joy will be ours again someday. Um, I was reading a story with my kids. I have two teenage boys now. Um, that's a whole other story. God's been so gracious to our family. But um, we still read to them. We've read to them since they were little. We still do. It's just a family thing. It's kind of silly because they can read fine on their own. Um, but we're reading a book. And... Uh, I can't remember the name of it actually. Um, it's been a few years ago, but it was about this young guy, and he had a really hard life. All these, you know, overcome all these odds and obstacles, and he had this big dream, and he's pursuing his dream, and he's just so earnest and such a good kid, and you just so want him to succeed. And um, then, like at about 85% of the way through, everything starts to look like it's about to fall apart, and it's like, okay, time for bed. And I just was so into this story, I had to know what happened. I was so worried that like this guy was not going to get this fictional guy was not going to, you know, see his dream come true. So anyway, the next day after everybody gone to school, I just snuck up, you know, just opened the back and just like read the last couple of paragraphs. And like, okay, I don't know how they're going to get there, but it's 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 going to be okay. Um, and and I and I say that to you guys to say this. If this life we're living in is a book, it's okay to say that we're in a chapter that we really don't like a lot. We may really hate this chapter we're in right now. And if we were the author of the story, we would not have written it this way at all. It wasn't supposed to be this way. 
And I think God's okay when we say that. We don't have a high priest, Hebrews 4.15 tells us, who can't relate to our weakness, who judges us when we can't take in the bigger picture of what he's up to. But the real author of this story has already written the ending of the book, and it's a glorious one. And I know you know that. I think that's why you're here tonight. If it's not good, God's not done. Keep reading. I, I, I wish I could say that I came up with that. I, in fact, the end of my talk is actually a kite from somebody else as well. Um, but I love that. If it's not good, God's not done. How can we know that Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, uh, like he claims in John 14, 3? And, and that's a big topic I'd love to unpack with you guys if you, if you ever want to, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. But here's the short answer. If all the prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus, I don't think we have any, I do not think we are fools to believe that what he says about heaven and end times, we can put our full faith in. Um, so the most recent leg of my journey has been about anticipating future joy. Um, and they've doubled back. I mean, there's still times when I find myself really still grieving. And I, I hope that doesn't discourage you. But that's just to say it's just not a linear process, much as I wish it was. Um, and there's just no way to rush it. Um, Proverbs 25.20 warns us about singing songs to hearts that are heavy. So I hope nothing I've said or I'm about to say makes you feel like I'm um, discounting the pain that's in this room tonight because I don't and I've been in that seat and I know it's so so hard but I feel like I do have to close with this um, I have no idea if according to okay your def definition of okay if it is going to be okay but you are going to be okay you're going to be more than okay there's a God who sits on a throne who's not just ruling over us. He's waiting for us. And he is upholding us every step of the way until he takes us home. This is good news. This is better news than any bad news can ever be. So my friends, I would just say, put your face in his word. Set your hearts on high and know that his heart is already set on you. And its intentions are for nothing but your good. Thanks for letting me share tonight.